Hello, Spacers. From Austin, Texas, I'm Christopher Schmidt. And on today's show, I'm joined again with Glenda Sims. Glenda is the Accessibility Practice Manager at TQ Systems. And before that, and for all time, she's known as Glenda, the Accessibility Good Witch. So she loves accessibility. She's been practicing accessibility. She evangelizes accessibility for the web and mobile. Uh, that's who she is, and she loves it. And we are always enjoy having her on the show. And in fact, it's been three years, actually, since Glenda was on Not Breaking the Space Show. So uh, I shouldn't really say all the time, but uh, but when she is here, uh, we, we always enjoy it. So, And I think that's three years is plenty enough time to uh, get caught up with what's happening with in the world with accessibility. Anyway, before we get started, some notes on where I will be and some more to our sponsors. CSS DevConf 2016, the Alamo, it is taking place this October 17th and 18th in San Antonio. That is where the Alamo is. This is where you should be. You learn the latest by hanging out with the greatest. Uh, Chris Coyer, Jen Simmons, Snook, Trent Walton, Sarah Dresner, many more um, from people who were picked in a double blind uh, voting uh, on, the, on based off the nature of their topics. Uh, you'll learn what's uh, you know when is blowing for the front end workflows. So this is where you want to learn what's going to be happening next year. Register now at cssdevconf.com. Again, that's cssdevconf.com. And also, you can pick up a post conference workshop too with Snook, Rachel Neighbors, or West Boss. So you can learn from about Smacks CSS with Snook, uh, animations with Rachel or um, React.js with Wes. So check a look at that at cssdevconf.com. If you don't want to travel, we're doing a web and mobile accessibility conference September 4th and 5th. Uh, you can register now and get recordings for free at a11ysummit.com. That's a11y. That's a shorthand for accessibility. So you don't have to type the whole thing out and mistype it like I always do. So it's a11ysummit.com. And also, uh, Fancy Hands is a team of virtual assistants ready at your fingertips. For example, if you need a plumber, uh, have them research the best plumbers in your area, and then you can also have them schedule one while you're at work or taking that well-earned nap. Uh, Fancy Hands is letting me give you 50% off their first month when you sign up at Christopher.org slash Fancy Hands. Also, you can set it, forget it with Not Breaking Space Show. So whenever a new episode is ready to go, you can have it delivered right into your email box by signing up at newsletter.notbreakingspace.tv. As always, you can find show notes discussed along with links and other things at notbreakingspace.tv. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at Telejet, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T. As always, thank you for subscribing, liking, and telling others about Nonbreaking Space Show on iTunes. Now, on with the show. I was actually trying to find out when you were on the show last, and that was a long time ago. Probably so. Yeah. April of 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of fun has happened since then, huh? A lot of fun? Yeah, well, a lot of stuff has happened mm-hmm. since then. So. Yep. Cool. And uh, just try to see where you were at. You're, like, you're still at the queue. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So are you still the senior accessibility consultant? 
so um, we have grown, and the role that I'm playing now is I am the accessibility practice manager. So I define how we do accessibility at the company. Okay. Um, and we have over 50 accessibility experts on staff, mm-hmm. and that's just the professional services side of the house. So um, we've we've grown. Uh, in 2013, there were probably five of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like every expert person I know works at the Q now. It's like, that. It's like oh, I'm going to leave. I'm going to work for someone else. I'm like, where are you going to go? To Q. Like, okay. To Q. Yeah. To Q. Right. Yeah, we we were we were in um, a really large growth period over the last three years, with yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that that's like it was like this weird kind of like thing. Uh, so, professional services. How? What else do you guys? So we actually have two major areas where we provide uh, client support, and that is the professional services, my side, which is going to be anything related to a human being helping you. So it can be consulting, it can be training, it can be um, embedding an expert with you, anything related to, you know, something a human is going to work through. And then we also are looking to make sure that our clients don't have to um, use as much manpower because accessibility can be done in some ways more efficiently with automated tools. Mm -hmm. And so we have an entire software side of our process, which um, we've open sourced our accessibility rules engine. Um, We believe that as moving the community forward in accessibility, Uh, Just like the browsers agree on a standard for how they're going to render HTML and CSS and how JavaScript is going to work, why can't we do that with WCAG standard uh, automation rules as well? So we've open sourced our rules engine, and then we have software that can help uh, clients use accessibility testing tools in all their different stages of design and development. So software side of the house, services side of the house. Okay, cool. And so what type of things do your software tools, like what type of stages do the tools attack or like report on or do they report on? Do they fix things? Do they... They report for the most part. Um, I have seen some tools, and in the past, um, DeQ may have even tried it, where there have been some attempts to, oh, we'll find the problem and we'll fix it for you. And, you know, I don't really know of many developers that want you messing with their code. Uh, They don't mind you, uh, you know, running a lint and telling me something's wrong, but, hey, that's my code. Don't go fixing it. So um, right now, our tools are way more focused on helping you understand as soon as you can in your process. So we don't have anything automated in the design phase. We definitely have services that we offer during um, requirements phase and design phase. But once you get into the coding phase, we have a number of tools um, that can be integrated into the agile process. Um, whether that's at the uh, at the build stage, uh, calling our our Axe engine, 
um, for anything that can be tested automatedly. So you, you know that the obvious accessibility errors are clean because you made it past that. Um, you can also test it. You can use Axe in the browser if you want to test it that way. But I, I really am finding that a number of our customers are wanting to put it into their build process. Okay, cool. That's awesome. I guess day to day, what type was your role as a accessibility program manager? Like, like what, what type of challenges you did you see day in day out? It, it's been it's been really interesting um, in the field of accessibility. I, I think I've always known this that trying to interpret WCAG consistently between two human beings is a challenge. Um, even when one of those human beings is the person that you learned from. <laughs> um, so I learned this in my early days. Um, I grew up under uh, Sharon Rush, John Slayton, and others. And as we would, the three of us, test a website, um, we'd get into a number of debates about, is this a failure or is this the best practice? And so one of the things that I continue to work on is creating consistency and accuracy in the work that we do and now spread that over the minds of over 50 people that are around the globe. And what I'm excited about that type of work is it's intellectually stimulating. (laughs) There's lots of debates. (laughs) Um, And in some ways, it's something um, I do miss my edu.org days because, oh, how I just want all of this consistency and accuracy to be shared globally. because really take 10 accessibility experts, have them test a web page and compare the reports. Yeah. And unless you have a consistency process in place, um, 50 shades of accessibility. <laughs> 50 <laughs> shades. shades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, it's what it is. And, yeah. and so we've come so far and yeah. um, that that's one of the things that I, I continue to pursue um, and, and I'm not sure that it's ever going to end because of the way WCAG is written. WCAG is written to not be, uh, it, it's written to be technology agnostic. And so it's not written in such technical detail. It's written in English, mostly. And until they define every single word that they use in the normative part of WCAG, there's going to be differences in interpretation. What did they mean? What did they mean by that word? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I will say the W3C is doing a fantastic job of helping clarify a number of things. Um, but there's still areas that are mushy and gray. Um, and I'll, I'll stop there because you might have questions. <laughs> How can we have accessibility standard when even experts disagree with each other? Um, that is an excellent question. Um, and one of the things... I think is that these standards, they have that push and pull. If we make this standard too specific, then it's going to be tied to the technology at the moment the standard was passed. Mm -hmm. And so I understand their need for what they're doing. And what I see is there's some beautiful notes that are going into WCAG right now. Um, They're clarification notes. 
And so as these questions come up, um, you'll see notes in green that clarify. So for me, um, the problem's painful because I'm sitting in an organization. We're currently working with over 35 different dot-com companies, and that's not even the whole uh, of what we're touching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got 50 people underneath me and, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds of pages that are being reviewed. And so all the tough questions come to me. So I'm feeling that pain. Um, is it as big a problem in someone else's daily life? No, it's not. I'm, I'm just a funnel that it, that it's coming through. Um, is it less than, uh, 20% of the problem? Absolutely. It's less than 20% of the problem. Um, but, um, you know, when, when a client's coming to me, I don't want to give them 80% work. I want to give them, I want to make an A. Uh, so, and, and the cool thing is, is that what we're learning as we're having to come with consistent, accurate quality work, to clients um, in in all different fields is we're sharing that information with the W3C. Mm. We're saying that the way this is written, uh, whether it's 1.3.1 or 4.1.2, that these two areas, even for experts, we have a lot of debate. Um, and I'll actually, I, I ran a survey the other day where I surveyed 30 of my experts. I'm not talking about somebody that's, you know, in the first year or two, I'm talking about people with over five years under their belt or 15 years under their belt, that range. And I'm getting a 50% split on whether something is a fail or not. It's a real edge case. And it's coming out of 4.1.2 name roll value. So I report that to the W3C and I go, okay, here's where I think it should be interpreted and why I don't think it's a fail. Can you confirm for me that you at the W3C agree with that also? And can you clarify that? And I have to be careful because I can't go running to the W3C and go, can you solve my problem? Because, you know, they don't work for me. Um, but if I'm having that kind of results amongst really good experts, uh, you know, everybody's having that problem. So we are reporting those things. Um, and we're not just thinking about it from an expert perspective because we really need to simplify it. Um, if, Every time you need to look at a page, you need somebody with 10 years experience to see if it's accessible. Um, That's not sustainable. So in WCAG next, I believe there will be some proposals that some of these success criteria that are a little mushy or have had problems with interpretation, even amongst experts, that we can clarify them better. Um, So I'm, I'm optimistic. Okay. Well, let's just um, uh, take the inverse for a second and just uh, be super positive yeah. uh, as, and talk about um, what are things in the specifications that uh, you know, everyday Joe uh, developer uh, can easily implement accessibility-wise? Like, is it just like images and alt, ta- alt descriptions? Is there, um, what, what sort of things should, should they say like, 
I should not have a problem implementing these types of things into my workflow uh, without having like this, this gray area. Because you know, it's, it's just you know, just a low hanging fruit is basically what I'm asking for. Like, what what type of things that are out hmm. there? And and when we look at it, um, it's really interesting that not only are we focusing on accuracy and consistency, but we're actually getting to the stage of efficiency. And so one of the first things that I want people to know how to do, and it's not a gray area, is it keyboard accessible? You know, that's pretty black or white. Can you do it without your mouse or keypad? Or, or without your uh, trackpad. Um, straightforward. And a lot of people that haven't been introduced to accessibility, they don't, they don't know to do that. It's pretty dang easy to test. So that's one of the first most powerful things that developers can do. Um, of course, there's always the low-hanging fruit, like you said, of adding appropriate alt text to informative or active images, uh, making sure that your form fields are labeled, um, uh, using tables for data structure, really following the semantics of HTML, separating your presentation uh, from your semantic content. And those things are, they are non-debatable. Um uh, captions, uh, really straightforward, uh, what to do with captions. So, right. and, and captions, I just hate to break in here. Mm-hmm. It's just, but captions have, they've changed within the last few years since I guess we talked like, so like the captions for video, like mm-hmm. I can understand with YouTube, you can actually upload captions Yeah. Have YouTube. Is there something else I would need to do for HTML5 video that'd be different or... So um, uh, one of the things, the captions um, are, this, the concepts are all still the same mm-hmm. of what's required. The tools to help us caption have grown. Uh, most importantly, there is progress in voice-to-text recognition. It's still not at a quality where I choose to use voice to text automation, um, I still use qualified um, stenographers, uh, captioners, humans, uh, to translate it, and uh, then I'll go over it to make sure the quality is there. But it really depends on the topic. So many times when I'm captioning something, it's very technical, yeah. um, and and so you're not going to get... Uh, it, it, Speech to text is not going to be uh, right. good. Yeah, I bet like uh, in terms of like, I mean, like one of the things I used to tell people is like get quick and dirty captioning because YouTube would do automatic <laughs> transcriptioning and it'd be this, this, I don't know how good it is now, but like a few years ago, it was just, it was just like just terrible. But what I liked about it was that it would give you timestamps for free. Yeah. And then you could actually go in and clean it up. Uh, just, you know, within an hour or two. It depends on how long I'm going to text you. And then that's kind of where the question is. The question is, does it take you longer to clean up the mess Mm -hmm. or is it better to listen to the content, Mm -hmm. type up a transcript without timestamps and throw the transcript against the automatic engines? Because once you've got approximately the text transcript, 
there are a lot of free engines out there. Uh, YouTube has one. Uh, you throw a text transcript without timestamps against the video, okay. and the video can then use voice-to-text recognition on that. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. So it's, it's a lot better on okay. that. Um, and I myself have been um, hand uh, cleaning up some captions that were, were done by a professional captioning house, and they did a really good job. But, um, you know, I wanted it perfect. And, and many times in, uh, in a group setting or in a casual setting, uh, people don't enunciate their words completely. So you're still going to have misses. Yes. Enunciation is always good. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he laughs normally. Um, cool. Yeah. So, and then uh, with HTML5, there's also the ability to embed SRT files, like the the captioning files and different languages files into for HTML5 video and stuff like that. So is that that's still the same, right? That's not okay. So. And and one of the things that I am seeing more and more of is, and. I thought of this back in WCAG 1.0, before 2.0 was even there. You know, we talk about content needing to be paused, stopped, or hidden, and then we have captions. Well, captions are rolling at the same rate the speakers are talking. It's timed content, <laughs> And so there's kind of a gap right now. WCAG 2.0 AAA lets you get by with just having the captions attached to the video. And what we really need for excellent experience is that full transcript that you could download and read at your pace. Mm. Not at the pace that the speaker's talking, but at your pace. Because English may not be your first language. Right. Um, or, or many other reasons that, um, that is something I would like to see become more commonplace. And I love many of the tools that are creating what we call hot transcripts. Um, so you upload the transcript and now it becomes searchable and it's almost like the cartoons with follow the bouncing ball. Um, you can search it, you can, there's just multiple layers of being able to access it. So I, I like the advancements that I've seen there. Okay. So like, cause usually I find that when people, as like web developers talk to web developers. So I usually find that when they do captioning, they usually have that full article already. Like, like the video, they have the captioning and then, uh, the, yeah. And then, so, so you're, so there's people who have captioning and then they don't provide the, uh, they don't put the transcript up. It's not required to put yeah. the transcript up. And so I think that that's a gap um, that wasn't really considered. And one of the reasons why is from, from my perspective, when we look at how accessibility has evolved, um, the two areas that got the most attention first were uh, people that are blind and people that cannot hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones that came in and you're, you've seen less support, but the support is growing, uh, keyboard only support it's there, but it wasn't, 
primary, at, at least the way I was trained. It, it wasn't in the forefront. It was almost like a, a an extra thing because the blind person needed it. Um, and then cognitive. And as cognitive is rising and really moving forward, there's very little in WCAG 2.0 about cognitive. Um, but we're starting to see like, oh, we were only thinking about the people that were deaf when we thought about the captions. Now we need to think about somebody that needs to read it at a rate that's comfortable to them. Oh, we're going to have to add it. So I would conceive that it might come into WCAG next, which is going to have cognitive, mobile, and low vision extensions. What type of things are are you putting in there for low vision extensions? Um, So low vision is really fascinating. There's a gentleman at – he was – uh, professor at California State University, Long Beach, and his name is Wayne Dick, and he happens to be a uh, computer programmer professor that also has low vision. And so he is doing all kinds of fabulous research. Um, one of the things that he has explained to me, and it's funny because I've always cared, but it wasn't until he had me go through the experiment that I was like, Oh my God, that was awful. Um, Being able to control the font size, the font itself, the color, the line spacing, the width, and to not have things where you have to scroll left and right is really important to a person with low vision so that they can tune it to what they need. And I knew all those things. I conceptually knew every single one of them. And then I went through and got to test his research project Mm -hmm. where he is having me read paragraphs of scientific information. And then I have to answer questions afterwards. And I'm first going through it where I can see everything without scrolling left, right. And then I have to go through the second with a different paragraph of information, like I'm taking an SAT test or something and I have to scroll left or right. And I was like, Oh my God, this Mm. is horrible. So right now it is not against WCAG to have left, right scrolling. It's sad. It's not recommended to have left, right scrolling, but it's not a brick wall to inaccessibility to accessibility. However, I expect in low in the low vision extension that it will be there as a requirement. Okay. Yeah, I, and this with the responsible design, though, I feel like that's going to be a big a big issue, especially with tablets and uh, you know f- with uh, phone uh, surfing, just because of uh, you know just just surfing around on my own. It's just you know there's you have to actually go in there and. Uh, with your thumb and resize things and, and it's, it's pain in the butt. And, the and, pinch and zoom and, you know, all of a sudden, because we really are consuming so much content on these smaller screens, we are feeling the pain that people with low vision have been feeling for 15, 20 years. Right. <laughs> um, and so it, it's one of those things where I, I really feel accessibility is growing up because it's, finally getting to those topics. And when we look at the population of people with disabilities, low vision is a giant group 
of people in comparison to the ones that we're already serving. And when we get into cognitive, oh my goodness, we are really going to make a difference. And, you know, I remember when cognitive used to scare me because I'm a psych major and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I care, but how am I supposed to help? You know, how far, what is it that I'm supposed to do? And, and it was overwhelming. And then I went to a wonderful session at CSUN that was led by uh, Rich Schwartzbecker. Uh, from IBM. And in that session, he and uh, Lisa were uh, talking about, let's start here. And they defined a couple of different types of of cognitive disabilities, not saying that's all they're going to focus on, but let's start with these. Let's start with focus issues uh, that can often result in someone that may have ADD. Uh, Let's start with dyslexia. Um, let's start with, with, with those. Um, and there were about three or four others uh, that they mentioned. And so this problem that had felt overwhelming to me before, just like anything else, when you break it down into manageable pieces, became something exciting to go investigate. And in the past year, I've actually had the opportunity to do usability testing with people with those exact cognitive disabilities and learned When accessibility is on the mark, what happens? Good design leads, good accessible design leads to better design for all. And sure enough, I experienced that same thing when testing for dyslexia and um, focus issues. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's just one of my things that it took me a while to learn was that uh, people actually separate accessibility with usability. And Mm -hmm. I feel like there's the same thing almost, you know, so so that's that's pretty good. But yeah. And and like Joe was it Joe Clark? He always said like, uh, if you uh, who wouldn't want accessibility in their website? Who wouldn't want more people coming to their website? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And, and and I think the real catch is um, if we're unrealistic in what we ask for from an accessibility standpoint. So that we actually prevent creativity and new things, mm-hmm. um, that that's where you get the negative reaction. And so there's there's this balance of yes, we need to have access for all human beings. That's what Tim Berners Lee created this for, not just for some people to have access, but for all people to have access. Um, But to think carefully about um, maybe the responsive web design perspective, which is, okay, you can have this content, whether you're coming at it from your phone or your laptop or your tablet or your refrigerator. Um, it just may not be the exact same experience and it may be a slightly better experience on one platform or the other, but you still get the core content and functionality. Uh, to risk being negative. <laughs> uh, what are the things that, that you said, you said 80, 20% split between eight percent being, um, WCAG being, um, good and easy to implement. What's the 20% things, um, that are kind of hard that we should be on watch out for? Like, Say so like these things might be more subjective. I I assume more subjective and hard to follow. Yeah, but, you know, there's there's one part that um, I would like some more clarification on, and it's 
it's 1.3.1 and it talks about semantics and I love the semantic web. I love everything that we do in that direction. But if we require from an accessibility standpoint, all the semantics to be in place, even when not a single assistive technology does anything with this semantic tag, mm-hmm. what are we doing? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I want to be pragmatic. And so um, that one uh, worries me a little bit. And, and the other one, I'm not going to say it's the gray area. I'm going to pivot on you. Okay. When WCAG 2.0 was written, ARIA was still a sparkle in Rich Schwarzenegger's eye. Um, Okay, he had been working on it, but it really wasn't out um, being truly played with by many, many people yet. Um, We've come a long way since then. And so what I'm excited about is Aria filling many of those gaps that's allowing the creativity that at some points had been suppressed in earlier versions of accessibility. Um, And Aria just blows that door wide open. Where we have a little bit of a gap right now is WCAG 2.0 was written before Aria was even walking, you know, if we think of it as a child. Um, and I expect WCAG uh, next to really pick up and embrace some of those pieces. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about how important it is to not restrict growth and creativity on the web. So, I, I want to make sure that accessibility, if accessibility is stopping somebody from curing cancer or saving people, um, that's not good for society. Right. So, so you, don't, you don't want like you don't want it to uh, stop the message from getting out if it's mm-hmm. right. So you just mm-hmm. want if, if if it's like stop the message from getting out. Uh, because of accessibility concerns, and then that's not really being accessible. And, and for anybody with a disability, they have equal right to get that message too. And so be creative, find the solution. Uh, but the solution isn't don't do it at all. Mm. The solution is do it, be creative, be out there, and let's find the way to truly make it accessible. Um, don't, don't limit ourselves. I've, it's really hard for me to have a follow-up question after that pep talk. <laughs> uh, I do want to mention that uh, there was an article by Simple Accessible, is that what mm-hmm. it is? About tabs and REI and, as I say, REI, sorry. Uh, REI, sorry. Uh, about it. It seems like, um, was it, I think it was the phrase was, um, was that that, Throwing out was, the uh, bathwater, I guess. With, uh, that was the phrase that I used yeah. with you. Yeah. Um, I, I think what happened there is that. And, and just to back up for a second, just so we set the table a little bit, is mm-hmm. that. Uh, and so the, the is the, is the article written for Bicycle Accessible, we'll put a link in the show notes. But basically, just say, like, oh, here's folder, folder tabs. 
and here's solutions, you know, to make it more accessible to navigate. Is that right? And then, but then we put the ARIA uh, tags in there and it becomes unusable. And so, so their, their solution was to like, just not use it or is is that right? It it, it is. And, and I think that what happened, um, I, I have other members of my team that looked at that really closely. um, And, so I'm reporting back to you at a high level. Okay. Um, and so if I get anything wrong, um, I, I'm going to apologize in advance. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is my understanding. No problem. Um, what we did is we had um, a group of our experts, um, including our blind accessibility experts, look very deeply at this problem. And while there are some gaps there, um, it, it, this is like saying, don't use CSS, still use table-based layout because CSS isn't working perfectly yet everywhere. It, it's like it, ARIA is the future. Mm-hmm. Um, if we say, I won't use it till it's perfect, how are we going to report back what needs to be done? Right. Um, and so I do not think the solution is don't use ARIA. Um, and, and I will admit that I was slow to join the ARIA bandwagon. Um, you know, the, oh, before it became a recommended spec, I was like, no, I can't, I can't use it yet. It's, it's, it's not finalized. And um, I was at a meeting with Ann Abbott, uh, 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 Accessibility Lunch in Austin. And she like looked me straight in the eye and she says, we are using it right now and you need to be using it right now. And I was like, Okay. Okay. <laughs> and she showed it to me and it, it it's like, do you refuse to use a new browser or a new operating system? And, you know, what's your comfort level with a little bit of cruft? Um, you know, the, the web's not going to stand still. So we, we have to be, uh, continue to look at that. And Aria, it's, it, I, I literally think it's amazing. And my my question to you is like uh, as because it already needs uh, needs work improvement you know it sounds like uh, so are you talking with browser vendors or are they just talking to W three C but it seems like it'd be more practical you know to talk to W three C and you know uh, like people like DQ and other other vendors like that is is that. Uh, we're very active um, in the W3C. Um, I can't give you the count of people. Uh, John Folio could tell you because he runs uh, right. that for me. Um, but one of the most important things is when we look at this problem of what's causing the problem, is it the browser not doing something to spec? Um, is it that the spec's not clear? Um is it actually the browser handled it properly, but there is a bug in the AT and it's not even a bug in all the screen readers. It's a bug in one. Mm-hmm. So tracking down and figuring out where's the problem. Um, and one of the things that frustrates me to no end is when the problem gets laid at the foot of the innocent developers yeah. who didn't write the spec didn't make the browser and didn't make the screen reader. But you know what? There's a way for them to code a hack. So let's get 
10 million developers around the world to code the hack as opposed to getting the AT vendor to fix it? What? That was crazy talk. So, um, and the AT vendors are very open to this. Very open. And the browser vendors are too. So that's exactly what we do. Um, and, and I've got many people on team that do that in an official capacity. They may, may be doing it at W3C meetings. Um, and that doesn't stop a single one of them from doing it from their individual emails as well. Okay. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I just feel like uh, like it's been the browser renaissance of like last few years mm-hmm. of us. You know, like you can see how it was slow going with the, the picture tag and the picture element and all that stuff like that. But I just feel like there's like, you know, whole generation of browser vendors who built web pages are now making browsers. And so yeah. there's more of a active browser development than there were, say, after the dot com crash, right? So, mm-hmm. and there was like no one doing anything with the browsers. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, I think that's about it for me. Uh, do you have any parting comments? Do you think? Uh, no, I am just looking forward to the accessibility summit coming up in September. Okay. And I always say thank you very much whenever we talk about it, because without your prodding, we would not be doing it. <laughs> so, so. Well, I, I I appreciate you doing it, and it continues to inspire me. So, right. thank you. Well, awesome. Yeah. So check it out uh, online accessibility summit. And where can people find find you online? Um, I am Goodwitch on Twitter, and I work at DeQ, D-E-Q-U-E dot com. Awesome. Again, thanks so much, and talk to you soon. Hopefully sooner than three years. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Okay. (laughs)